and welcome. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. And today our guest is Anissa Deshpande, and she is the founder of Logue Lab. In just a moment, she'll be with us to tell us all about Logue Lab and uh, share her story. Also remember that you can email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you, especially if you'd like to be our guest here and you use business as a force for good. We'd love to share your story. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm Carol Murphy, your host, and Daniel Hogan is in the studio. We'll be right back with Anissa. Thanks for listening. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm Carol Murphy, your host. And today our guest is Anissa Deshbande of Logue Lab. Hi, Anissa. Hi, Carol. How are you? Doing just great. So you're speaking with us from Pasadena. Is that right? That's right. It's a lovely 36 degrees here. We're having a bit of a cold spell. I've been amazed at the number of days in December that Montana has been the same temperature as California. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we live here for the weather, so that's disappointing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. So tell us, what is Logue Lab and what do you do there, Anissa? Yeah, so I founded Logue Lab back in 2015. Uh, We are a modern HR advisory services firm. We actually have a couple of service offerings. First, we help companies modernize their HR functions to take them away from that traditional compliance mindset and help them align it to growing revenue and creating a place where people love to work. We also coach up-and-coming HR professionals to transition from more of that traditional mindset to a modern mindset And then we build content. So I have videos and um, courses and books to really help educate the workforce and the overall kind of working world about modern HR. I'm just curious, what is modern HR? What are the the defining elements if one is modernizing their HR processes and departments? Yeah, so... I think uh, in the knowledge economy, we have to rethink the way that we practice HR. So HR is really at an inflection point. In the past, it's been primarily focused on compliance. Um, A lot of decision-making has been based on anecdotes. Um, It hasn't been so focused on optimizing the workforce. And one of the big things, like we think about the customer experience, Um, There's also this concept of the employee experience, and I think traditionally HR hasn't been overly focused on it, right? They've been trying to check a box to make sure that we don't get sued. They've been more of what I'll call a a back office cost center. And I think in today's world, we need a totally different approach to modern HR. So we need to think about the programs in HR, things like performance management, succession planning, talent management. And we need, we need to get those focused on business goals. I mean, compliance is certainly important, but it can't be the driving force of what we're trying to do. 
we need to bring more data and analytics into HR and help make decisions that are based on insights, right? And not just a, a gut feel. Our focus needs to be really making sure that the workforce is engaged and productive. And then every company needs a unique intention and employee experience to differentiate it and make it a place where people really want to come and come to work and then stay there and love what they're doing. So I'd love to talk about your background and you've had some extensive HR and other management level experience and you're, you're living in California right now. Is that where you're from? Yes, I was born in Downey, California, and have grew, and grew up here in, in um, Orange County. Uh, I went to school up in Berkeley and then um, worked in the Bay Area for just a tad bit and then moved back down to Pasadena and have been here since then. Uh, my background is that I have 25 years of experience in HR, IT, finance, and strategy, as you mentioned, and yeah, uh, before I founded Loglab, I was uh, working as a, an HR executive at a Fortune 500 company. I was in charge of global talent. And my role was to hire, uh, to oversee the hiring of 20,000 people every year in 150 countries. So a lot of strategic work uh, as to, this was a professional services firm. So how do we make sure we have the talent that we need to service our customers. And so, um, in, you know, we were growing in some very unique areas like the Middle East, which had a lot of uh, interesting and different challenges. So we had to kind of get in there and, and take a totally different approach, come up with a strategy, um, but still ensure that there was this consistent employee experience, no matter what country you were in. So um, I also built a lot of internal talent programs that were designed to achieve business results. So um, building a performance management system that aligned to our business results and helped us reward our highest uh, performers and our top contributors the right way. Um, you know, making sure that our succession plan wasn't just something we submitted to the board, but really thoughtful about where's the company trying to go? What does that organizational structure look like? And then what are the roles that we need? And then who do we need to develop to get to those roles in the future. A lot of times when we think about succession planning, we take the existing organizational structure and we just say, okay, who's going to be the, the person that's ready for this particular position one year from now, three years from now. And the problem with that is organizations are going through so much change constantly that we need to be thinking about what that future organizational structure looks like and then figuring out where people are going to slot into. And what was um, what was going to school in Berkeley like, and what did you study there? <laughs> yeah, so going to school in Berkeley in the early 90s, so I started in 91 and I graduated in 95, was very different. Um, you know, it, it was, uh, it, it, it definitely is a very liberal school. Uh, there are some very interesting personalities there. Um, you know, I enjoyed my time there. It was fantastic. Uh, what Berkeley did, and I, I studied political science, and I was uh, thinking at the time that I would either go get my PhD uh, in political science and be uh, and, and go into academia, or uh, I would become a lawyer. And towards the end of 
uh, Berkeley, I decided that I would probably go be a lawyer, but I wanted to take a break um, and work. And I started working and I never went back. But what Berkeley really taught me was how to think, how to critically analyze things, how to work. It's a very cutthroat environment. It's very competitive. There's a lot of whether it's real or not, I, I mean, I think the, the word I like to use is manufactured stress. Because you have a lot of people that are just, you know, really smart trying to compete. And you're trying to figure out where you fit um, in all of that. So, yeah, it was a, a great experience. Any regrets that you didn't go back to Holt Hall? And Berkeley's Law School is kind of tough to get into. Um, so I, you, you kind of had an edge that you were already in that, that mindset. Any regrets? No, no regrets at all. I mean, I think as I've learned about myself, I am a very creative person. And I think in the corporate world, you know, even, even when I was working there, it was very hard for me to express my creativity. And so I, you know, I don't think I would have been happy being an attorney. I probably would have practiced for a couple of years and then done something different. Um, it's just, I, I, you know, like I work with a lot of attorneys now and I, I can tell it's really just not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't have any regrets. Um, although I do, I am fascinated. I, I think law school itself seems like it's a very interesting experience, right? Like the the academic side of it, like the learning about the law, there's so many nuances and interpretations, but I think actually practicing it is very different from how you learn about it. And HR, uh, at what point did you know that this was your calling and your passion? Yeah, it's so interesting because I thought it for a long time, right? The first 10 years, almost 15 years of my career were spent working in IT roles and even in leadership IT roles. And then um, I was in a situation where my boss got fired and they felt like I wasn't ready to take control of the entire department. So they asked me to run it in the interim while they hired a new boss. Once they hired that boss, it, 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 well, it actually took him six months to hire that person. And so when he came in, he was having a hard time taking control. So they asked me to take another role in the company and they offered me this opportunity outside of IT. And I, I just, I thought, why not? You know, I was, I was kind of maybe in my early 30s, just looking for some change and a new challenge. Um, and so I went to go work for the chief administrative officer, first looking for overhead savings across the organization. Um, and she wanted non-labor, so she didn't want to do layoffs. And um, she wanted them to be structural. So not try to just cut this service or that service, but really think about how we can get things done uh, in a different way, in a more efficient way. And so I did that for her for about six months. And then she asked me, she also had HR reporting to her and she said, you know, Hey, can you go work in HR and take, like we, we'd grown very quickly and our, our payroll and our benefits processes hadn't kept up with where we were. So for example, we would run payroll and people wouldn't, not everybody would get a paycheck. Um, you know, we would run benefit. We'd, we'd, create our benefits file. So it was a lot of IT type stuff, right? We would create our benefits file to send to the carrier and people would drop. And so the concept was, hey, transform these functions. You know, you you manage them for a period of time, whether that's 12 months or 18 months, 18 months, and then you transform them, get them running, and then give them back to the um to the actual 
leader of that function. And, and the reason for that was there's a very different skill set between building or transforming and maintaining. And I've never been somebody who's enjoyed maintaining. And so, um, and she saw that and she realized that this is, you know, an opportunity for you to really, in, you know, work and, and get these things um, modernized and functioning well and get our employees happy, but then, you know, be able to give it to someone else to optimize over the long haul. And I'm wondering too, at what point did you realize, hey, I need to be my my own boss? <laughs> that's a, that's know, a leap. Yeah. That's a leap. And so after I left uh, the job that I just told you about, I went to go work. So I was working in HR and then uh, I went to go work for the CFO of a Fortune 500 company where I also ended up working in the talent organization. And my, my job there was to kind of be a director of strategic initiatives for him. So uh, similar to a chief of staff to follow him around, it was a developmental assignment, follow him around, understand how a fortune 500 executive makes decisions and run some strategic uh, activities as well, like this, like our, our strategic plan for the company. And so we did that and we found this gap between what we were trying to do as a business and our, um, our HR function. And so that's when I went and took the global talent role after two years of working for him. And I really enjoyed what I was doing, right? I love this concept of taking HR practices that are very compliance-driven in nature and transforming it, transforming them into business functions, like things that have actual business results. And you can tie that connection very closely. But we were a very big company. And I just felt like... I was loving the work so much. I wanted to have a bigger impact than one company. And so, and I thought this concept was so cool that you could take it and apply it to a number of small companies, right? The startup industry, like, you know, startups were going crazy at that point. You know, private equity was also uh, starting to invest heavily. And I just saw this opportunity to really help these companies get to where they wanted to. So I decided to take the leap um, and uh, and leave corporate. And once I left corporate, I also like, you know, I think when you've done something for a long period of time, so I was in my early 40s when I left, um, maybe 41, um, my identity had been completely wrapped up in the corporate culture. And I think I spent the next like two years, three years figuring out who I was. And in the in the corporate world, as I mentioned, I wasn't able to express my creativity. I didn't realize what a gift and what a what a um, strength that would be for companies. Um, and so when I went on my own and, you know, as I started to get more comfortable with who I was and what I wanted to be and how I wanted to show up, I definitely brought a lot more of that into my work. You know, we're going to take our little midway point break here. And uh, when we come back, what I'd love to talk about some more is your book. And um, just a moment, we'll be back with Anissa. This is Heartstock Radio.
This is Heartstock Radio. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. This is Carol Murphy, your host. Today, we're speaking with Anissa Deshpande and her company, Log Lab. When did you get the inspiration for writing the book? Yeah, so we were in the middle, or we, we had just started the pandemic. It was probably April of 2020. And, you know, we were in lockdown and so in California. And so we didn't, like, there was very limited things that we could do at the time. And I think also we just didn't know enough about uh, coronavirus. And so we didn't know, like, you know, it wasn't surface, it wasn't transmitted, transmitted via surfaces and all that kind of stuff. So we were really kind of hunkered down. And um, while I was busy with work, I still had a lot more uh, free time. And I got tired of binge watching TV. And I don't know, I just decided that it was time to kind of build, to maybe design my own story, right? To tell my own story and to craft something that would be fun. And so this, the, you know, the story, I, I am a writer, I write poetry. This story kind of came to me one day um, as I was, you know, just maybe it's just like we had time for our minds to sit still. And so in one of those moments, the story actually came to me and it's a combination of all the anecdotes and data points that I had used over the years to educate people about modern HR. And what would happen is I would, I would give them these data points and they would, they would go, yeah, that, that makes sense, but they wouldn't consume it in the way that I wanted them to. Like they weren't, they, they didn't get it like in their heart of hearts and be like, uh, yeah, I have to go do something with this, right? It wasn't as compelling as I, I wanted it to be. So um, that's why I decided to write this book. And it is a modern HR novel. So it's a fiction tale about a woman who, um, well, it's about a company actually that is struggling with their business. And they, they have a, a competitor that enters a space and then they uh, have to really rework their sales or operations and their HR and, and R&D and all the other things. The CEO feels really good about the other departments, right? The ones that are less like people focused, but he's struggling with his HR leader. And he has a strong HR leader, but she's focused on the wrong things. And so this is her journey going from a traditional HR mindset to a modern HR mindset and really building an HR function that helps the business uh, get to where it needs to be. And along the way, she's helped by a coach who is loosely disguised as me, who, you know, guides her through this, this journey of transitioning her mindset. And so um, that's really what the book's about. And how, how about the name, The Comeback? Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I think this may have not been a, a conscious decision, but as I thought about it later, it made sense, right? When you start your own company and, you know, you definitely go through ups and downs. And I think uh, whenever you're running your own business, I don't think it ever ends, right? You're always going through ups and downs with your business. It's very different from a corporate career where every year you get like a performance review, you get a certain increase and your income keeps growing and growing. It's, it's you know, there's just, things that you can't control when you run your own business as much as you try. And so I think for me, this was making a statement about me coming back five years, six years into my business as like, okay, now I'm an established business. So there's a little bit of that, but it's also about, you know, the business itself and how it made its comeback. 
right? Like, so it, it was struggling and it, it's the story of how it comes back to be successful again. And I'm wondering if you might be able to share with us some success stories, how working with your company has had the desired effect that you know can transform a company. Yeah, so I work with a lot of what I'll call emerging growth or investor-backed companies that have an imperative to grow. So, um, especially on the private equity side, you know, you'll 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 start working with a company that maybe is very good in one vertical, but now has gotten an injection of cash or capital and needs to uh, you know take a different direction with the business. And so often we have to look at the uh, things like the leadership structure and the culture and, you know, the sales organizational structure and figure out, you know, how are we going to make this company successful in this very short period of time? Um, and so I have a, a couple of stories around that. I mean, one, uh, you know, I worked with a, a medical device company that um, was growing at 10%. A year, and when private equity came in, they wanted it to grow at twenty percent a year, and they wanted it to, you know, really impact different verticals. And so, what happened is um, they brought me in. They didn't have a head of HR. They brought me in to consult with the CEO and others to to build a leadership structure that would enable that twenty percent growth. And so, there were certain hires we needed to make right away, and there were certain hires that we needed to make a few years from now to make sure that that growth was sustainable. Um, they also brought me that we also reorganized uh, the sales territories to make to make that 20% growth achievable in the first year um, and then change the incentive plan. And then we had to rework the culture to um, implement people practices that really helped employees think day to day about what they could do to grow the company. And so, you know, that was a success story in the first year. It definitely achieved uh, over 20% growth. And I mean, there were a number of factors that went into that, but I definitely think the things that we did were, were, were part of that. And I'm wondering, what do you see ahead? You know, when you look onto your own personal company's horizon, what do you see and what do you want to make happen? Yeah, you know, I think um, I, I definitely am a guide for companies, right, to modernize their HR function. I think I, I expect this year I launched the coaching side of the business, and I think I had been coaching people but didn't really formalize it as a part of the business. And with the book coming out, um, it just made sense to do that. I really see that part of the business growing more and more. And I think the biggest thing that I can offer companies is that coaching, right? The benefit of my experience of going through these things, um, but also learning about their challenges. I'm not someone that comes in and says, let me tell you what to do. Uh, I definitely learn their challenges, learn their business, and then craft creative ideas, either working side by side with the CEO or uh, coaching their HR leader. And so I think that there is uh, you know, this next generation um, and the millennials uh, really want coaching more than they want consulting. So I see that as a big uh, growth area of the business. And what's the difference? Um... Yeah. So in coaching, you're guiding people to, um, to, to the answer, right? Like you have, you're helping them understand the challenges from different perspectives 
helping them think through ideas, but then they're running and executing the ideas. A lot of times on the consulting side, they don't have someone that can run and execute the ideas. So you you do advise, but then you have to roll up your sleeves and kind of help them through some of those things. And I think that is the demand for that is uh, getting less and less because people really want to grow people internally. And I think that makes total sense, especially an HR person. And um, so also, I think strategic HR, modern HR, the practitioners of those, it's a, it's a limited talent pool still. And so a lot of people see that their HR leader may have the potential to do that, but needs some coaching on how to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's a, another common thing that, that I, I see. Finally, um, just like my journey where I came from another area of the business and I ended up coming into HR, I'm seeing more and more companies embrace that idea of taking a strong business leader, putting them in uh, an HR function, and then getting help from a coach like me uh, to, to help them on some of the aspects that they need to learn. But they have a really good business acumen. They just need some guidance on, okay, you know, how do I think about the culture? You know, what are some of the challenges we're facing? And what do I need to do from a people perspective? And so um, I think all of those uh, changes and just these, you know, this this big shift from traditional to modern HR is driving the need for a lot more coaching. We probably only have a couple minutes left, but um, I'm wondering if you'd like to give a shout out to folks that have helped you. I mean, you know, it's kind of, you know, folded in upon itself because you're helping people with HR, but how do you handle your own HR and uh, finding those people that can support your business? That's a great question. I mean, I have so much support. It is unbelievable. And I, I mean, even though I am a solopreneur, I never feel like I'm alone. I have a business development coach. So for me, the biggest challenge in going out on my own, uh, you know, was sales. I didn't know how to sell really. I mean, I had some experience, but not sell on on my own. So I have a a business development coach. You know, I have a a regular coach who, you know, just works with me to make sure that I'm thinking about things differently. I'm always reading, always learning, but I also just have a really strong network, which I wasn't always good about building in the beginning. And it kind of hurt me in year three and four, I should say year four. uh, And I had to rebuild and really think about, you know, how do I make good connections with people where we can refer each other business? Because there's things I don't do uh, that I need to make sure I have good partners for. I think it's, it's just, I have a really broad support network. As they say, it takes a village. And I definitely have a village. (laughs) And when was your book published and how might folks find that? Yeah, the book was published in May of uh, this year and it's available on Amazon. You just have to Google uh, the comeback by Anissa Deshpande. There's There's a couple comebacks out there. (laughs) <laughs> I can imagine uh, that's probably a, a really popular title during this pandemic and all of the <laughs> ups and downs that we've all experienced in, on top of weather and fires and yeah, on and on. <laughs> Riots. Um, yes. And how might folks find you, Anissa? Yeah. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. You can connect with me there. I'm also, my website is thelowglab.net. And you can also uh, go there, learn more about the services and um, reach out to me. 
Thank you so much for sharing your story and writing your book and being on Heartstock. I really appreciate that. Oh, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. And this is Heartstock. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. As usual, we shall be back next week. Thanks for listening. Peace. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. Oh